Well, I hope everybody got enough turkey this past week, and uh, we certainly had a good meal last week together, and for you that were here, I hope that you enjoyed it. It's good to see everybody. We have some new faces in the audience today, and we're grateful to have you as a visitor and would like to invite you back uh, to any opportunity that you might have, and just grateful to be with you today, and what a beautiful day it is outside. It's warm. It's nice, and so it's good to be here with you today. I do have a little announcement that I was requested to make uh, by my daughter and that she wanted me to announce that she has lost a tooth. And, uh, and for you that aren't believers, the tooth fairy visited last night. And uh, so we're grateful uh, that uh, she was able to pull that tooth. I think it involved uh, eating some fudge and it came out. And, uh, but uh, we're grateful for that. And uh, so good to see you uh, this morning. You know, spiritual blessings, when we start thinking about the richness of the Christian life, uh, that God has truly blessed us, not just physical things, but the spiritual things. It says that every spiritual blessing is in Christ Jesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3, that every blessing is in Christ. And, and sometimes we take those blessings and that richness for granted, because of distractions, because of things around us. I'm reminded of a story of a man who was playing violin in Washington, D.C. He was in a, in a public place, and it was cold January morning. He played six songs, and he played for about 45 minutes. And in the course of that 45 minutes, it was during the rush hour, and 1,100 people walked beside him in that station. Some people stopped. A lot of people didn't. One little kid walked by and he was captivated by the musician and listened and his mama drug him away. And that was mostly what happened. Little kids paid attention to the musician. They understood. They listened. They saw the beauty. They saw the richness of the moment and the parents would drive and, and drag the kids away. Some people did put money in, in the basket for him. About 20 people. He collected $32 in the course of that 45 minutes playing violin. But what they didn't understand was that that violin player was a man by the name of Joshua Bell, who was probably one of the most renowned violinists in all of the world playing six of the most intricate songs ever written by Bach. But yet people didn't notice what was right in front of them. In fact, he was playing a violin that was estimated worth $3.5 million, just the violin itself. And it played in the same city two days before where the tickets were $100 a piece. And there he was playing for everybody for free, and people just walked on and didn't notice the beauty that was right before him. Do you think that sometimes that we do that 
in our Christian lives and in the blessings that God has that God has blessed us with richness, with beauty, with blessings, and we just walk on by. We don't take the time to notice. And one of those gifts, one of those blessings that God gives every person is the blessing of prayer. Yes, that you have the potential to have a connection with God Himself is the gift of prayer. But how many of us just walk on by that blessing? We hear the music. We see the violin, but yet we walk on by and we never utilize that blessing of prayer. Prayer is powerful. Some people don't believe it, but it's true. Prayer changes things. The great Spurgeon once said, we know not what prayer cannot do. Because with God, all things are possible. He is not limited, and so our prayers go to our Heavenly Father who is almighty, who is capable of doing things. But yet we walk on by. Prayer has the ability to help us with our intentionality. You know, the life of a Christian is a life of a disciple. What does that mean? It's a person who's trying to live up to the standard of God, who's disciplined themselves who's living in intentionality that I'm going to live differently than the way that I used to live. One person once said it like this, prayer does not change God, but it changes the one who offers it. You see, prayer does not change who God is. In fact, God wants to help us. God wants to give to us. But it changes us. And that ultimately, prayer connects us with that which is eternal. In this transient world that we live in, where everything is in flux, where everything is changing, prayer connects us to that which is forever. And it's interesting that in this passage this morning, what's called as the Lord's Prayer, where the disciples come to Jesus wanting to learn how to pray. Prayer is so important. Paul said, be anxious in nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. James says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, get this, availeth much. It avails much. It accomplishes much when we pray to God. Why? Because it's not rooted in ourselves. It's rooted in in the capability of God Himself. And what we find, the first thing that happens in this passage in Luke 11 is what? The disciples hear Jesus praying. Jesus just, is, just doesn't teach something, but He's also displaying it in his, in his actions, isn't He? You know, there's a lot of people who will tell you what you need to do. Right? Right? There's a lot of people who will give you some advice, but they don't always follow it themselves. But here you find Jesus, and Jesus is doing what? He's praying. It says, He was praying in a certain place, and when He ceased, that one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us how to do what You're doing. We want to be able to connect to God. We want to be able to talk to God. How do you do that? 
And that was the example of who Jesus was. His disciples not only saw him one time, but many times he would withdraw and pray. Sometimes all night long, Jesus was praying. He was seeking God in the moments of his life. So if Jesus sought God in his life, how much more do I need to seek God in my life? If Jesus would withdraw to pray, how much more should I withdraw and pray? And his disciples understood that they knew that they needed to know how to pray. Teach us to pray. And Jesus gives us this prayer. He gives us a prayer that we might be able to know how to pray. And what strikes me about this prayer is, number one, there's not a lot of fancy words in it. It's not a long prayer, but it's a sincere prayer, isn't it? And if we look at these words, there's not one word that's wasted in this prayer. Every word in the prayer of Jesus here matters and means something. And means something to us. The first word is what? Our. He says our. I guess that's the southern way of saying it, right? (laughs) Our. Our Father. The first thing that we learn about Jesus' prayer is that It's open to everybody. That Jesus is sharing in this prayer with other people. That prayer is not exclusive between me and God alone, but it includes other people. We have to be praying people, and we need to include other people in our prayer. Jesus is our Father who art in heaven. He says, our Father. And how beautiful and sublime it is to be included in Jesus' prayer. Prayer is not just meant to be one-on-one, it's also meant to be with others included. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the extent of our prayers. He says in chapter 2, verse Timothy, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that all supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made, get this, for all men, all people, for kings, And all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Who are you to be praying for? The people like you? The people that you like? Yeah, you need to pray for them. But you also need to pray for those people you're not like. you got to pray for those people who are in authority. Those people that have control. They need your prayers. Every person needs your prayer. That's why we say, Our Father who art in heaven. We include everybody. Jesus just didn't come to Americans. In fact, He never even set foot in America. Jesus came to the earth for all people everywhere. Jesus is for everybody. He also says, Father. And isn't that interesting? Sometimes when we think of God... There's all these different ideas and rival ideas about who God is and what God is. But Jesus uses the most personal thing that you can say. He says, our Father. It's not some blind force. It's not just something inside of you that you can't describe. It's not some blind force. It's our Father. That God actually desires to be intimately acquainted with you. That He wants to be your Father. That He wants to take care of you. That He wants to love you. 
And ultimately, that's one of the greatest things that Jesus ever revealed to us about who God was, is that God is a Father. God loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And it's through Jesus that we understand the fatherhood of God. It says in Galatians 4, 6, and 7, And because you are sons, God sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then a fellow heir of God through Christ Jesus. None of us are slaves. God hasn't just called us to be servants, but He's called us to be sons and daughters. Isn't that who you want to pray to? To a father? Isn't that who you want to talk to? Someone who loves you unconditionally? He also says this, hallowed be thy name. And that's an interesting phrase and a little different. But what it means, hallow means to make holy or sacred, to sanctify, to consecrate, to venerate. And so what Jesus does here is He's saying, God, I reverence You. I respect You. You are holy. And even though You're my Father, I recognize Your holiness. I recognize Your transcendence. That You, God, are holy. You know what? You can tell a lot by a person's life by how they talk about God. You can. How we talk about God is important. What we think about God is important. Because usually, the way that we talk about God, the way that we think about God, is the way that we live in relation to God. If you understand the holiness of God and hallow His name, then your life will also align with that value and that beauty. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Not treating it as disrespectfully and as common. We're to treat His name with veneration and, and respect and reverence. He also says, Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God, the reign of God. For God to be reigning in the lives of people. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the reign of God was in every person's life? He doesn't do it coercively. He doesn't force anyone here to be in the kingdom of God. He doesn't. He invites us into the kingdom of God. We participate in His kingdom. We pray Your kingdom come. And ultimately, that's His church. He said, I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Peter, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. So we willingly serve God. And we pray His kingdom come in our lives. And we pray that for this world. We want the kingdom of God to flourish and to be everywhere. We want people to love one another. To forgive one another. And to be righteous. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. And sometimes that might be the hardest part. Because a lot of times when we come to God with prayer, I'll just be honest with you, I've got my own agenda. How many of you have asked God for something? I have. I begged Him for stuff. 
I begged him for answers. Sometimes I, I look at my own self and I'm asking God for stuff and then I say, well, why, why am I not asking him for something else? Why am I concentrating on that? Why am I not concentrating on something more important? But sometimes we can say that I look back over my life and I'm glad that God didn't give me some things that I asked for. Right? I remember when I was a young man, I fell in love every five minutes. <laughs> and I was constantly asking God's help with the ladies. And I'm glad He didn't help me out. That's why we say, Your will be done. Thy will be done. Yes, I want another job, or I want another car, or I want another house, or I need a, a new friend, or I need a better church. Whatever it is. But at the end of that statement, you say, but Lord, your will be done. Because ultimately, our prayers can't be just all about ourselves, which we're really good at doing sometimes. No, thy will be done. And if we look to the example of Jesus, how did he live? When we find him struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal, the night before he's crucified, he has that prayer to, Jesus, to the Father and he's begging God. He says, please, if there's any other way, if I don't have to die on that cross, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done. Thy will be done. And that changes everything, doesn't it? And it's ultimately a request of faith because ultimately I say to God, when I say your will be done, that I know that you know better than me. God, you know better than me what I need for my life. You know better than me than what my family needs. You know better than me. Thy will be done. Surrendering to His will. Surrendering to His prerogative. Surrendering to His sovereignty. Surrendering to His love. Not my will. Thy will be done. And isn't that what Jesus says when He says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. When we give up, when we surrender to God, we actually find victory. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will, his will is, is done in heaven. And it will be done on earth. He also says, give us this day our daily bread. He says, we need to concentrate right where we're at. We need to concentrate on the power of this moment. And prayer is not only about yesterday and forgiveness, and it's not only about eternity and the future, but really it's about right now, isn't it? And he says, give us this day our daily bread. And what's remarkable about that is, is that Jesus says, just concentrate on today. Daily bread. Well, I don't do too well with that. I like to plan everything. I like to have everything set out. I like to be in control of everything. But Jesus says, hey, back it up and live in the moment. Right now, give us this day our daily bread. Are you okay? Did you have a meal this morning? 
You got clothes on your back? Then God's blessing you. God's loving you. Give us this day our daily bread. And we find that that's how the Lord took care of the people of Israel when they were wondering. It was daily that the manna would fall, wasn't it? They didn't have to plan. But Jesus is ultimately that bread of life for our spiritual sustenance. He also says, Lord, forgive us of our trespasses that ultimately I need to be restored. I need to be reconciled. I need forgiveness. I need you to forgive me, God. And don't we all need forgiveness in this room? And this is ultimately why this isn't just the Lord's prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer because they're the ones who needed forgiveness. And he also says that our forgiveness with God is contingent on how we forgive each other. Forgive us as we forgive others. So if I'm not in the business of forgiving in my life, that means God's going to deal with me the same way I dealt with everybody else. Forgive us as we forgive each other. Somebody once likened holding that grudge. How many of you are good at holding grudges? I'm pretty good at it. Hold that grudge, don't we? Somebody likened it to the holding that coal, hot coal in your own hands and then expecting the other person to get burnt. Right? Because when you hold a grudge, you're the one that's holding the weight. When you're hating someone, you're the one that has the hate living in them, in you. The other person's walking around not even knowing about it. But yet you're burned up on the inside because you have so much resentment and hate towards that person. And for some reason, they're free. But you're not. God says to forgive those as we forgive each other. He says, do not lead us into temptation. Help us. In this moment, help us in the moments that we struggle. Help us in the moments that are challenging. And God promises God is faithful and will not allow any of you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. He's, he's going to make a way of, of escape. God's not going to lead you anywhere that He can't get you out of or that He will not get you out of. He will help you. And he also, Jesus says, deliver us from the evil one. And ultimately, that's what God wants to offer every person here is deliverance. Deliverance from guilt. Deliverance from shame. Deliverance from sin. Because there is an enemy. And if you let him into your life, if you let selfishness into your life, if you let that lion into your life, It'll wreak havoc on everything that you own, everything that you have, every relationship that you care about. Jesus promises that if we pray, He will deliver us from that. You know, prayer, somebody once said is this. I want you to hear these words, and the lesson will be yours. That prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance but it's laying hold of His willingness. And a lot of times we have the opposite idea about prayer, don't we? We think for some reason that we just have to to get one over on God. 
That we just have to beg and beg and beg and that we have to overcome his reluctance. But that's not it. God isn't reluctant. God isn't withholding something that you don't need. God is willing and able to help you. We need to ask him. We need to be connected to him. And ultimately, prayer isn't about what I want. It's about me being connected to God. That's why the apostle says, pray without ceasing. Prayer is the oxygen of the believer. That I stay in steady fellowship, communion with the God of heaven. That's what God wants for you today. And with that comes assurance. With that comes knowing who your Savior is. If you've never obeyed the gospel this morning, there's no better time than today. In fact, Jesus' prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. What do you need to do today? If you need to obey the gospel, the Bible says that it begins in faith. It begins in that awareness of who He is and what He's done for you. It begins in that awareness of the truth and having that knowledge. Repenting of sin, because sin is what hurts us. It's what hurts our families. It's what hurts our communities. It's what divides us. And we also confess Jesus to be who He is, to live in confession of His divinity and in His power, that He is Lord and Savior. And we're baptized into His body, the church. Or maybe this morning you need prayers of encouragement or healing. We will pray with you and know that God is willing. If you need anything this morning, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing?